today, we are uh, doing a couple of things. We're taking a look back at uh, the history of our church, and uh, in particular, uh, the involvement or engagement in the life of our church of two individuals uh, who happen to be here with us today. And I want to be clear, this is not about um, uh, elevating Jim and Linda. It's about recognizing Christ in them and in all of us as we have labored together over all these years to serve and glorify Christ uh, through what he's doing at Hope. So I hope that what I'm about to do is really about Jesus, that that's the point of it. And I'm going to be using a couple of people as examples, uh, you know, good examples, bad examples. You you see how that parses out. Um, But uh, of how Christ has been shown in our midst. So just want to frame that on the front end, and uh, hopefully we we can all remember this is really, it's about Jesus and and what he's doing in and through Jim and Linda and the rest of us as we serve God here. But as we were preparing for this day, uh, one of our members uh, who has snuck out, I think, for a moment, but um, Lois just offered up Psalm 1. She said, uh, Psalm 1 just sings of Jim and Linda and who they are. And I think we should use that to sort of thematically frame the day. And I said, perfect. And so I want to read that psalm with you and see if you don't agree. But uh, this is the very first psalm. Every uh, every Jewish heart and mind would have known this psalm uh, just like from memory. It was absolutely integral to their worship. And it describes a person who is um, really who belongs to the Lord. And so I want you to hear these words and then we'll, we'll reflect on them a little bit. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So, I got a phone call in August of 1999. Kathy and I had been in San Antonio for about six months at the time. And we moved here for the purpose of getting this church started. That was our our whole motive for coming to San Antonio. And the first six months of that journey, uh, Kathy and I joked that we felt like we were back in college at a keg party trying to pick up dates. (laughs) Because everywhere we went, we're meeting people. How are you? 
and then you try to lead the conversation to, where do you go to church? You know, and you're kind of hoping they say, we don't. And you go, oh, really? Well, we're starting one. Why don't you come to a Bible study, and uh, we'll kind of get to know each other and figure it out, see if you want to be part of this. And uh, you have to be really okay with, with complete, immediate rejection in order to be a church planter or a church planter's wife, right? Because there aren't a lot of people who are excited to be a part of a new church that doesn't exist yet. And they're looking at you like, are you the next David Koresh? <laughs> um, so we had been at this for several months. I think at the time we had, uh, uh, we had the Wicks who were, who were with us. At the, well, they actually weren't with us yet. Uh, but this, I'm talking about the first phone call I got from Linda in August of 99. And, and I called Gretchen on a recommendation of somebody else, and she says, we're actually interested, we'd love to hear more. I'm in labor, can you call me back in a couple of weeks? <laughs> so, yeah, that was a little bit. Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, right? So, we were close enough. Anyway, Linda calls and says, hey, we just moved here from Florida. Uh, we're members of an EPC church there. And we're wondering what time is the worship service on Sunday. Beep. You know, and it hangs up. And I had to call her back and say, uh, there is no worship service on Sunday. We're just, we're actually, but we are starting a Bible study next week. And we would love for you to come. And uh, they did. And Kathy and I went over to their house and had dinner with them. And that's when Linda was telling me about where she met Jim. She was an army nurse in a recovery hospital in San Francisco in the Bay Area. And uh, Jim was one of her patients. No? Close enough. You were a nurse there. He was a patient there. I'm in the ballpark. All right. So uh, anyway, Linda says, what, what surprised me about all these uh, men who were recovering from their wounds in Vietnam was how abusive they were to each other. You know, and so one guy that maybe got his his arm blown off or something, and the other guy would go, hey, Frank, lend me a hand. Oh, never mind. You know, or somebody would be like, hey, Jim, hop on over here. You know, yeah, you get the idea. And uh, just how incredibly abusive these guys were to each other in that context of recovery and she said, she made them, this was a huge mistake on her part, and only one she's ever made. Um, but she said, it's weird, but the more verbal abuse you give to Jim, the more he likes you. And Kathy and I looked at each other, and we're like, and I look at Jim, I'm like, we're going to get along really well. Like, really, really well. Um, and uh, so, all that to say... That was the beginning of a friendship and a partnership in the gospel that uh, whew, I can't even describe how integral these two people became in the planting of this church. Um, all right. You know, Every time I, I get up here, I, I look out 
looked at you and I think, why do you want me or to be your pastor, right? Why would you want that? That's just messed up. You're all whacked. Um, yeah, you're wondering the same thing, exactly. But Jim and Linda, you know, there was, a, there was a very early on in our relationship, there was a realization on my part, they don't need me. They don't, they, they study the word uh, regularly and, and actually together, uh, which is bizarre. Um, and uh, they pray well. They're, they're solid Christian people. They're not perfect. But it was very clear to Kathy and I that they don't need us, right? They don't, they don't, they're not, their life isn't falling apart. They're not here because they need support. They are here because they want to serve Christ. And as opposed to Jason, who's back there laughing, who's only here because his life is falling apart. You laughing at my sermon? You want to laugh at my sermon? Huh? Come on. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sorry. All right. Um, there he goes again. That's right. Okay. Please don't. Um, therein is the goal that, that is really my goal for every one of you, to work myself out of a job. So that you get to the point where you're engaged in the word, you're engaged in prayer, you're connected to God, you're growing and strengthening your faith, and you don't need me. That we are here to uh, share in something uh, together, to be a part of what God is doing in our midst because we want to be here. And uh, we, will, we will take anyone at any point Right? We don't, we're, not, we're not picky about that, and we're happy to be patient and, and whatever we can be. But the goal is sort of represented in that back row back there, that, that you grow to the point where you're not here because you need it. You're here because you want to be part of what God is doing. And so I want us to take a look at this image of a tree planted by streams of water that grows and produces fruit that doesn't wither uh, in bad seasons of life. And I want us to all reflect on this calling to be, to have that kind of faith, to see Christ develop within ourselves to that extent. And the first thing I want to just sort of point us all to is that this psalm uh, evokes a call to action on each of our parts. This is an active faith that we are called to. We're called to take action with regard to our faith. And verses 1 and 2 remind us there are two ways to feed in this life. Uh, Spiritually, that is, or emotionally, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, One is to try to feed ourselves, to try and satisfy our own appetites. Uh, We've all been there, done that. Uh, Some of us have written the book. Um, And then there's feeding off of what God gives us through his word. The strength that comes through God's word. And so, let's take first a look in sort of the 
the inverse of this, that we are to actively avoid man's folly, the folly of man. It is everywhere. It is uh, easily entered into. That's one of the things that this verse 1 points us to. It's easy to get caught up in the folly of man. When, you know, think of, uh, think of elementary age kids and one of them's being mean to another one. The tendency is to, to, for people to join in on the side of the one who's being mean, right? To pile on, to, that's the easy thing to do. To jump on that and join in the thrashing, if you will. And God says, I want you to be different. I want you to actively resist those temptations to follow that impulse. I want you to be different, distinct. And I want you to realize it's easy to get caught up in the folly of man, but it's important to rise above it. It's important to be people who see with a different perspective and act with a different motive and a different impulse and and are, are driven by a different thirst. So to actively avoid man's folly is one aspect of what we're taught in this psalm. And the other side of that coin is to actively engage God through his word. To actively engage God's word. I I will venture a guess that some 90 some odd percent of us are not really good at this. I can confess to you it does not come natively to me um, to uh, have that like every report card I had as an elementary school kid you know what it said a little checkbox needs self-discipline right needs runs with scissors needs self-discipline um, and but here's here's the truth we grow when we engage God through his word what we're doing is we are submitting ourselves to an authority higher than our own higher than ourself we are saying okay I like to think I have things figured out occasionally I'm forced to realize that I don't and what I really need is to subject myself to some authority, some wisdom, something beyond myself. And so we open the Word, and we spend time there. And it's, it can be daunting at first because it's sometimes hard to comprehend. But time and perseverance will change that. They will, they will expand our vocabulary and our understanding of God and His Word. So we're to open God's Word regularly And here's the key, we're to take it to heart. There's two sides to verse 2. He he delights in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. So there's a a regularity to this. There's a, a consistency factor. And there is also a heart factor. 
that we are to be driven into God's word and into what we derive from God's word through the heart. It's not just a mental exercise. We're not just memorizing historical facts. We're actually opening our hearts to God to speak to us and change us through meeting him in his word. That we pray when we open his word that he will speak to us in ways that that will grow us and change us. So, take action. Away from that which is easy and toward that which is more difficult. uh, But more fruitful, as we will see. That action should lead us in our lives to bear fruit. That's the second thing we see in Psalm 1, starting in verse 3. There's this idea that we spend time in God's Word. We, we distance ourselves from man's folly and, and move towards the, the, our rootedness in the Word of God. And we establish that rootedness in our lives. We are people who are grounded, so to speak. We've tapped into the source for true strength. And as we do that, we begin an exercise that is at first foreign to us. Um, how do I want to say this? I do not consider myself a particularly spiritual person, which I know sounds weird for a pastor to say, right? I recognize that I am, that God created each of us spiritually, like we have a spiritual component to our existence. But I don't natively relate to that part of my true self easily. That's what I'm trying to say. And as we spend time in God's word, as we grow and deepen our roots in our faith, we derive strength spiritually through faith. This should be a a growing part of our lives. Um, It takes time. And I want to be very clear. Our faith doesn't grow through our self-discipline, which is like a big hallelujah to me, right? That's not how our faith grows. Our faith primarily grows through trial, through struggle, through questions, through pain, through difficulty. And the best way to endure that pain and that difficulty is to have already spent time in God's word, in his presence, listening to his voice. So when we hit the wall, we have something to fall back on. So all that to say, in order to be people who bear fruit, we have to establish our roots, derive strength through faith, and persevere through times of drought. Um, so, Hope started 16 years ago. Kathy and I moved here 17 years ago. Um, shortly after Hope began, I had a 
a fairly, I don't know what you want to call it, a, a realization that I was terrible at prayer. I didn't really know how to pray. I didn't really want to pray. I didn't really uh, understand the complexities of prayer or the simplicities of prayer. I just wasn't good at it. And Jim and Linda were meeting together every morning at five, five, five flat at their house. And Linda just said, well, just come on over and pray with us. We pray every morning before Jim goes to work. What? What? Did you say five? Why would you do that? Why pray when you can sleep? Am I wrong, Sydney? Where did Sydney go? She's in the nursery? Okay, she, we just got an amen through those insulated walls. Um, so, I went. I wasn't always on time, but I went. And it was really, it was, it was Linda that I was drawn to in her prayer life. Uh, Jim is about as wooden as I am in that regard, but he's more disciplined than I am, which is to his benefit. Linda, actually, I got the sense that it was more like a conversation than a than an exercise for her. Does that make sense? Like she could actually intuit things through prayer that I was just like, really? I don't do that. I don't hear things. I just try to stumble through the mechanics of it. And I say all of this just as a way of saying there's hope. There's hope. If, if you're terrible at this part of your spiritual life, there's hope. You don't have to get up at five in the morning, uh, but you can get better. You can, and here's how it works. It's by being around people that, that stir your faith to be deeper, to be different than it is currently, to be around people who make you want to, go, to grow closer to God, make you want to be like them, so to speak. So we're to establish the roots of our faith, that we can have spiritual strength to survive those seasons of life that are without uh, water that our leaves will not wither. And we're to grow in his light. A tree has a two-way circulatory system. It's it's got the, let's see if I can get this right. It's been a long time since I've taken a botany class or whatever it was, forestry or something. But the xylem is the goo that comes out of the roots. The roots absorb nutrients out of the soil and water, and they push it up to the tree, to the leaves. The leaves go through that photosynthesis thing, and they produce nutrients for the rest of the plant that then pass through the system called the phloem, uh, even back to the roots, out to other places in the tree. That two-way system is what allows trees to grow. They need the light, but it's, it's, that's the sort of the turning point for the circulatory system is in the leaves. And 
we are to have spiritual lives that, that are similar to that. We have to let God's love flow through us. Grace, we are not a stopping point for grace. Like a leaf, we have to absorb this forgiveness and this love. But we're not to keep it in the leaf. We're supposed to take it and pass it on for the growth and nourishment of the whole. And so, as we let his love flow through us, we are to enrich the lives of those around us. To let what God has done to us, for us, and in us flow through us to the benefit of others. And again, I, I'm not trying to glorify Jim and Linda, but I just want to use them as an example of what Christ looks like in real time. As they came to hope not in need of anything that we had. They might argue that point, but I don't care. Um, they came in order to give of themselves for the benefit of the kingdom. And Gretchen, how many people were in that room the first time we gathered? I think it was either in my living room or the lighthouse. Do you have any recollection of that? About a dozen. Yeah, before the Kalers even got here. and um, How many do you think, Linda? In that, that October service? Um, so somewhere between 12 and 21 people. Look around you. God is awesome. And... He uses each of us to bless others, to extend his grace, to build his kingdom, to grow his family. And so, okay, we're to be people of action who bear fruit. In order to bear fruit, we have to grow roots, be rooted in God's word and God's love, and we have to grow in his light, in the the light of his grace and love. We're also called in this psalm to focus on what lasts, on what matters in life. And to be people who invest in that which passes God's test. Uh, This verse talks about standing, those who will be standing or not standing on the day of judgment. That which passes the test with God. These are the things that matter the most. And it's not, it's not the, the building or the budget or the programs or anything other than the presence of Christ and the hearts of God's people. These are the things that matter. And in order to focus on this, we have to be people who are able to let go of our sin to acknowledge that we are not perfect and that, in fact, we're broken. And as we learn to do that, something 
transformative happens. I think, you know, if you were, if you were in a, uh, a, a business seminar on your business image, right? They would probably tell you, don't admit your faults. Play to your strengths. Downplay your quirkiness. Um, don't let people know the whole truth, right? God's process works the complete opposite of that. Bear it all. Give it to him. Be painfully honest about who you really are. And let him begin there. Let go of your sin and stand on God's grace alone. Why will anyone be standing on the day of judgment? I do not want to stand on the day of judgment on my own merits. I don't want that. I want that which Christ achieved uh, applied to my account. I want his standing to be my standing. And in order to fully embrace that, I have to let go of my own pride, my own sinfulness, confess it, and acknowledge who I really am. And when I can be that honest, I begin to enjoy the freedom that comes through the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ. To focus on what lasts means investing in what passes God's test. And it means to live out what is right in God's eyes. This is a recurring theme throughout the Psalms, this idea of righteousness and the righteous. And you see it in the very first Psalm, and it just rides throughout the body of work. And there are two things here that I think are noteworthy. That in verse 5, in the second half of verse 5, it talks about the congregation of the righteous. And of course, this is stated in the negative, that, that those who don't let go of their sin will not be standing in the congregation of the righteous. But to put it in the more in the positive or affirmative, that we go through this life with a realization that we cannot do this alone. We need the congregation of the righteous to support us in those times where we are lacking. So we're to live out what's right in God's eyes with the support of your faith family in connection with other people who are there for you when you need them. And we are to live out what's right in God's eyes, enjoying the favor of our Heavenly Father, to know that we're forgiven, that He actually loves us. And you've, you've done this yourself. You've loved someone and they've let you down. But because you love them, you have forgiven them. You've gotten over whatever that was and laid something more important between you and that person, which is grace and understanding and everything that God has given 
to us. So, you're not alone. You're planted in community with others. And you enjoy the light and favor of God as you grow. And so, I want you, I want to leave you with this. None of us get to the point where some people are that we look at and say, I want to be where they are. Like I might be tempted to say about Jim or Linda. We don't get to that point on our own personal strength. It comes by being forged in the fires of life by faith. That God grows us through these times into the people who can stand and be strong and have a life that bears fruit to the benefit of others. And so, I can say thank you for surrendering your lives to Christ, for taking the hits for the team that getting all of us to this point has required. But ultimately, our gratitude is toward Christ for what He has done because it's not, it's not any one of us. It's His presence, His strength, his grace, his favor. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the people in our lives who stand as examples of your word, who point us to Christ, not to themselves, but rather to uh, your incredible strength and grace. We thank you for all that you overcome in our lives, most of which is self-inflicted, and yet you are patient and gracious and kind and forgiving. And we thank you for what you set before us in Christ, which is that which we do not deserve, but rather that also that which we enjoy because of what you have done for us in Christ. Lord, Grow us, deepen us, enrich our lives through your word and draw us to a place where we desire to be more deeply connected to you. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen.